Oh, how you doing there, Blake? It's <laughs> fun. Doing good. Trying to figure out this mess with your dang phone, man. Here, Brooke sending me another message. She's She is stressed. She said, I'm stressed about Chad's phone. When you get it working, please let me know. Oh, well, I need to text her and tell her it's working. Okay, yeah. I'm texting her now. Son, she hit. <laughs> let her know. Well, I just sent her a text out. I'm about to call her. Um, Yeah, man, I just wanted to do a quick intro to this episode that you guys are about to listen to. This is with our brother, uh, Morgan Cook. Morgan was a funeral director for what do you say about 14 years i think yeah um and it's a little bit it's a little it's a it's a unique episode we've never really recorded one with this depth speaking on the topics of yeah death and abortion so it's not only abortion but what to do with the remains of of children who pass away during childbirth or whatever so it's a it's a heavy conversation uh morgan actually did a great job i mean he made it Mm -hmm. he made it interesting he made it uh to where we can listen to it without getting super emotional right yeah yeah um i thought he did an awesome job at that man uh but just wanted to let you guys know why we decided to have this conversation uh we talk about here with morgan the kind of the process of of grieving a lost loved one and and we talk about why it's really kind of unhealthy to treat um the reality of death as just this systematic thing that that you just want to rush through um we talk about how uh, we talk about the value of human life um we talk to morgan about how his career and and being around uh death and the burial mm-hmm. process and 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 people that are grieving how that's affected him and his emotions and um and also his spiritual life and so you know for me this isn't a topic that i personally shy away from uh, i think these conversations are important for us to have yeah and you know that's why uh, i wanted to reach out to morgan and just get get his testimony man and get him to share with us uh, his lessons learned and i i thought it was great and i thought it was valuable mm-hmm. i just wanted to give everybody a heads up that's going to listen to this episode um so yeah he's got an interesting take on it because he doesn't just do it for a job it's it's clear that he has some deeper rooted thoughts behind this stuff and it you know ended up taking up a career in it and while he says it's not a ministry uh, I think it's just part of who he is now, and so he's yeah. able to give, like you said, uh, he's able to provide value and information about it without invoking anger or sadness, and just it, where you can kind of hear the facts for what they are and and look at it from a little different perspective without the emotions being welled up in you. Yeah, totally, man. Um, oh, I want to review these exoskin shorts real quick yeah. before we jump off. Yeah, they make some good ones. What are they? The compression shorts. Yeah, I've spent a, I've spent a lot of time in these exoskin compression shorts right yeah. here. And okay, so this is the short. All right, I have I have been wearing these exoskin compression shorts through the generations 
All right, like the generations of technology as they've came up, as they've restructured them, as they, you know, Exoskin, they're they're constantly improving the product. Mm -hmm. So the shorts in the beginning were a thicker short. Um, they have now the, the newer ones. This one I have right here is the is the um this is the newest model. Their newer compression shorts, they have the thicker ones for the wintertime, and they also have the thinner ones. I prefer the thinner version, all right? Yeah. And I also like the short version because I've told you guys the sexiest thing on my body is my legs. So if I'm going to show off one part while I'm out there running and I want to look good, it's going to be my legs. Um, I want you guys to know I have a pair of these exoskin compression shorts that are probably now four years old that I still wear and run and train in. Yeah, the they're, stuff lasts forever. They're four years old. I don't have a single other pair of shorts in my... I don't think I've ever had a pair of shorts that lasted four years. Or anything that gets regular use. I mean, maybe yeah. a jacket. Yeah. Yeah, I'm running miles and miles and miles in these things. The only thing that took... I had I've had two pairs. One pair got taken out by a barbed wire fence. Actually out at the Revenant. Yeah. I if you guys see all the pictures of me when I'm out running the Revenant, these are the shorts I got on. And I was crossing a barbed wire fence and the crotch of my shorts got hung on the barbed wire and took them out. And if you hadn't had those, it might have been your crotch that got they're, hung. They're still usable. I still, but I can't wear them in public. I, I still wear them. It actually created a nice little vent. It's like so, lingerie now. Yeah, I actually wear them when I'm <laughs> when I'm doing a private run. But if I'm doing a public run, those are those are out of the game. All right. So basically, if something would take your skin off, it might, it could potentially ruin the shorts, but may not. They might still make it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. I mean, they're pretty they're, tough. they're still in use. Um, yeah. So, like all Exoskin products, they are a hundred percent made in the USA. They are three D. This is three D engineered fabric, guaranteed comfort, friction management, which is important. Nobody likes chafing. I especially don't like chafing. Um, we have uh, rapid wicking and drying. What's cool about Exoskin is it channels moisture away from your skin. That's what's so special about this fabric. That and the odor, con odor control. Those are yeah. the two like main reasons I prefer Exoskin over just normal running shorts or something like that. The salt and the moisture when you sweat, that's what causes you ultimately to experience chafing over a long period of time. So the fact that this moves the moisture away from the skin and to the outer edge of the garment where it falls away from your body, that's how it keeps you from chafing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a big part of it. Of course, Croy and Rick could tell you a lot more about how it works. And then the odor control, copper fabric. Uh, there's copper fibers woven into the fabric that literally you can wear these shorts for a week straight, and you can put them up to your nose, and it's not going to make you puke. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty amazing how well mm -hmm. they work in terms of odor management. So go check out Exoskin at exoskin.us. And Croy told me the other day they're extending the, their sale, their holiday sale they had going through the end of January. Okay, sweet. Well, better get on it, man. Yeah. 
about halfway through the month now. Yeah, got a few more days left. Exoskin's been a part of the 307 podcast since the very beginning. They were our first sponsor. They were my first, uh, I guess you could call them sponsor, as an athlete. Um, they just sent me uh, gear mm-hmm. when I went out to run the Revenant the first time, shortly after I had got out of the Navy. So they've always been very generous. Um, they make the best gear out there. And the fact that it's all made in the USA – I know means a lot to me. Yeah. So if you want a personal experience with a really high quality piece of gear, go with Exoskin. Um, if you just want a big box store thing that's gonna, you know, you're gonna buy it and use it for a couple months and then throw it away, you can go somewhere else. But yeah, thanks Exos- Exoskin. We love you guys. All right. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Morgan. Here he is. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Three of Seven podcast. We've got a special guest on today, Brother Morgan <laughs> Cook, the Texas Texas original culture with a K. <laughs> What's yes, up? Sir. What's up, brother? It's going. Enjoying a nice day off work, and we're getting our uh, shop. We've been trying to get dream built for a while, and it's going down today. Dude, that's awesome, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I've, I've, I, I want to shop myself one day. I, 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 I dream of having a shop where I can pull a vehicle in and change. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm just doing basic stuff. Oil changes, <laughs> maybe rotating a tire every now and then. I want to have an archery range set up in, in there. Um, I want to have a little quarters built back there in the back for Chili to live in. Just, just a one, one room of quarters, you know, and like a two oh, by yeah. two space. Yeah, just enough for him to put a twin size bed in, you know. Um, <laughs> yes, sir. So, uh, dude, I, I, I am, I'm so interested in you, Morgan, and, um, and also your wife, Kate. Right. Yes, sir. Yeah, you guys really post some awesome content. I'm just interested in you, uh, what you guys do. Um, and, and what your background is because, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, um, I I love the content you guys put out. You're always out doing cool stuff. You guys wear some awesome outfits. I'm watching, I'm looking, you guys are (laughs) Texas through and through, man. So, oh, well, you know, I was born and raised here and my, my rule is you have to live here 10 years before you can call yourself a Texan. And she moved here in college from California. So I like to get, she's been here about 10 years, but her parents moved out and I like to give them a good old hard time saying, you know, you're, you're not there just yet. Give it a few years. (laughs) (laughs) I heard that, man. Well, you know, you know, Texas, you talk about Texas culture. I think Texas Mm -hmm. supplies the SEAL teams with at least a third of the bodies, uh, that are in the SEAL teams. I, uh, five years ago i read marcus latrell's book lone survivor and i you know i read that, that that's one of the most seals are coming out you know out of california and texas because of the environment yeah you know are so versatile you mean you got a little bit of everything from rugged terrain to the flats and desert areas and the ocean and you know, it's just it's just like a paradise in my opinion <laughs> I, it, yeah i gotta get down there and hang out with you guys sometimes there's oh, gotta yeah. be something to it um Oh yeah, come on. What what's we, your uh, what's your background, Morgan? So, uh I out of high school, you know, I wanted to go to auto mechanic school. My parents said, No, you don't want to do that. That's 
you don't make any living in that. And you don't want to do that your entire life. And I was just one of those, like, I'll, you know, kind of coasted through school. Didn't really challenge me enough, I guess. And I was filling out uh, scholarship applications uh, at the end of high school. And I kept bothering my mom. Like, oh, I, don't, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I want to do. And she uh, said, just to kind of get me to be quiet so she can finish her programs and then help me. She said, why don't you look up being a funeral director? And I said, oh, okay. And I thought, you know, they, they probably make decent money. They've got nice, nice suits and decent cars. And so I looked into it and it seemed interesting. And, you know, here I am 13 years later, roughly, and uh, went to Mortuary School right out of high school. Got my, graduated, got my funeral directors and bombers license and been doing that ever since and just really grown in that field up until uh let's see right when the pandemic started i was managing a large funeral home and right when the pandemic started i kind of left that unfortunately out of my own decision making but uh kind of was a tough time for both me and kate and i kind of got into i knew our local grave digger so i said hey you need help. I know you're always busy. And he said, yeah, come on. So for about a year and a half, I, I dug graves and man, talk about hard work, but good work. Uh, did that and kind of got into what I do now is I manage a cemetery for the city of Taylor and uh, a little bit easier going a little bit more time off, but my, that's been my entire career is I've you know been around death and dying pretty much since I was out of high school. Dude, <laughs> I, I've always, you, you know, I've, I've been to some funerals in, in, in my day <laughs> and, and I've always wondered, um, just how that career choice or how that path in life, how that would have to take some emotional toll, uh, I, on you in a, in a negative way, but also how it could potentially impact you in a positive way. And, mm -hmm. you, you know, I just want to get a little insight from you. It's the first time I've ever been able to ask someone in your profession that question. I mean, what are the what are the positive and negatives in terms of of just uh, of that soul, that emotional part of you um, that you've that you've gotten from a career um, like you just said, dealing with all aspects of of death and seeing it firsthand? I mean. Give me some insight mm -hmm. on that, brother. That's well, interesting to me. It, it used to irk me so bad when uh, people, you know, say, oh, what do you do? I'm a funeral director. Like, oh, wow, that, that's a true, you know, that, that's a, uh, a um, you know, a, a mission and um, takes really special people. And I would say, no, anybody can do this. And But as I, I gotten older and more experienced and, you know, I don't believe it's a, it's necessarily a calling, but I do believe it takes certain skills and, and abilities to be able to serve someone at your, at your best and they're at their worst and be there for them, but yet be able to do it day in and day out without it bringing you down in your personal life. And I've never really had that many that really have gotten to me. Uh, I mean, we have had services for teenagers those have always been tough uh, things like that and then part of my career that I've kind of branched off into on the side is I'm part of our uh, 
Funeral Directors Association disaster team. So anytime there's like a hurricane, we get called out to handle logistics of refrigeration trailers in the case of mass casualty events. And uh, that was a really tough time, even though, I mean, we didn't thankfully deal with that much, but it's just the devastation and all that will kind of just weigh on you. And you, people say, well, how can, how can you see things like that? Or, you know, a, a drunk driver hits somebody and kill them and you've got to go pick them up. And how can, you know, how can you still even believe in God with that? And I say, well, how can you not believe in God mm. on the same hand? Uh, I mean, it, it's, it, it all comes together and it just, it's one of those things that it's never really weighed on me and brought me down too bad other than those occasional calls where it just every now and then hope weighs on you. Like y'all we're talking on the resurrected with the sack of rocks on your back. Mm -hmm. You just got to, you know, open that seam up and let them go. And you can't, you can't be effective and serve the next person if you're letting that weigh on you. Yeah. I'll, uh, Morgan, this is Blake, but we had a student at the Proven Ground this uh, two weekends ago bring up how America has sheltered everybody from death, essentially, how, mm -hmm. we, you know, you don't ever really see, when someone dies, it's like you don't really ever see them again, and I mean, maybe short of an open casket or something like that, and how... Mm -hmm. It, it's kind of uncomfortable or weird to be around that, but it's it's a natural part of life, and, and sheltering people from it really kind of puts you at a disadvantage. And I think when when you do see death, I mean, it's real, it, it's there, and when you see it, it should open your eyes to that it is just a natural part of life, but also the tragic deaths and, and open your eyes to evil, right? Just like you said, how could oh. you not believe in God because if you believe in evil, it, you can't believe in one without the other. So mm -hmm. that, that was interesting when, when she made that comment and now to hear you further expound on it. Yeah. And like it is in American culture has over the years, more in modern times really sheltered people from death. And, you know, it, it was all in good intention, but at the same time, it's also bad because you, you could lose touch with that reality. Mm -hmm. You know, back in, in the early 1900s, you know, they'd have funerals at the house, you know, have uh, their loved one just, you know, on the couch or on a, a wake table for viewing. Mm -hmm. And people would come all day and night and spend time with them and celebrate. And now it's, you know, just hurry up and, and cremate me and don't make a fuss. Well, you know, dying and funerals are not about the dead. They're about your family and celebrate your memory and, and being happy. And that's what I believe a true funeral director should be doing is educating people that, you know, we're here to celebrate the memory and how you remember them. But at the same time, you, you need that closure. You can't, you'll never fully process it and go through your grief without having that. And, confronting that face-to-face -face really, I mean, scientists and studies have proven that having those viewings and things like that are really so helpful and beneficial because you are faced with that reality and you can process it mm. as compared to, you know, somebody passed and they just had immediate burial, no service, nobody. And next thing you know, it's just, well, where's, 
where's John? We haven't seen him in a while. We're like, oh, he passed away three weeks ago. And they're like, oh, that's unfortunate. And there may be somebody that may have had a close connection who's really struggling with that. And now all of a sudden they can't say goodbye because they just can't grasp the fact that he's gone, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I got to, I've always wondered what happened, like what caused that cultural shift from, from a family, you know, going through the intimate process and caring for a loved one after they passed away and it being in the home and maybe even having a, 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 a family burial ground or cemetery. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, what, what do you think caused that cultural shift around how we treat it? Is it, is it just simply like a population growth thing or, I mean, what are your theories <laughs> on that, man? Because you're, you're in the mix of this. And I've always wondered that because I think when, like, I would look, I like the con the old way. I like the concept <laughs> of the old way. And, and oh, yeah. as far as I know, that's not even a legal option anymore. Well, and Part of, okay, every when it comes to the funeral, every state has different rules and regulations. Uh, Texas is still kind of really loose on it. For example, you can have your own own cemetery on your property. I mean, there's certain regulations you have to meet with how much land you have and things of that nature. But I mean, legally, you really don't even have to use a funeral home in, in the state of Texas. Uh, you can do your own services. You may run into issues trying to file death certificates nowadays with it's all done online and you, you can't have access to the system unless you're a licensed professional, things like that. But as for having to have a funeral home do it, you there's ways around it's tough, but there's ways around yeah. it. But I don't know. I've never really been able to track down what, what happened, why it got to. So, and I, and I think part of it, like you said, is, population boom and progressive way of thinking. Like I mentioned in that, that post a while back, you know, on our Supreme, that was on that Supreme court as a witness. Mm-hmm. Well, they asked kind of why, what, why they're like the cremation rate versus burial rate. And I said, well, you know, if you look at the East coast and West coast, they're more of a liberal progressive, uh, population. Mm-hmm. So, they try to say, you know, there's not as they, there's not that traditional ritual belief of having services. It's just a more progressive way of doing it. And you get to, you know, here in Texas or there in Georgia, you know, the, the more rural areas and in, in the central States, it's people still believe in tradition mm-hmm. and have that respect for, cause it, I mean, if you if you lived or been anywhere on a farm, you you also deal with death every day. It may not be a human death, but you know, just having to put down a, a cow or a, a sheep or goat, anything like that. I mean, that's that's death, and you know, it's it's not a happy event. Uh, so the fact that I think all of us are still in in one way or another, mostly in touch, we respect it that much more to have the rituals of a funeral and, and, uh, you know, having the traditional viewing. And I think how it kind of got into using funeral homes is I think people started when they started sheltering themselves from it, they didn't want to deal with that. Cause it is a lot to deal with. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it, it, someone along the line said, you know, I can do this. And it started out being, you know, 
furniture stores because they made the caskets. Mm. Uh, your local barber was also a mortician, you know, or the doctor. Uh, <laughs> so it just kind of turned into one of those things where it kind of just morphed and, you know, somebody was at the time an entrepreneur and said, Hey, I, you know, I'm good at this. I can do this and pay my bills rather than having to do all this stuff. And, and I enjoy it. And so therefore it caught on. Uh, and it's, it's one of those industries that's believe it or not, still kind of trapped back in the 19th century, 20th century, rather than moving on to the 21st, especially when I got into it, but it's, it's improved a lot on those, those standpoints. I, I think, uh, you know, two things that would come to my mind would be first, it's like a step toward the, um, always comfortable you yeah. know, like mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable to be around death and, and eventually somebody was like man we can get rid of this we can be a little more comfortable in life and that that, mm-hmm. that was just yeah. one of the early steps of yeah. of that and then you think too of, about a long time ago the world wasn't as evil as it is now and so how many more people would kill their family members if they could just bury them on their own property and not have any involvement of any outside, <laughs> yeah. you know, like even poison I, them or something and, and they look oh, fine and, and like, Oh, well they're dead. That and, still happens. Then that happened. I mean, we, I had a, a long, a long, gosh, when I was still back living at home in East Texas, I had a call, uh, sheriff's department called. It was about 2 AM. He said, um, you know, we've got a deceased person. I said, okay, well, what's the address? And he said, well, I don't, I don't think we need you to come. I was like, well, what do you mean? He said, the, the family's already out back digging a hole in their family cemetery. I said, well, uh, if the judge who's like our, so in Texas, we don't have coroners. We have justice of the peace. They handle all that. And I said, if the judge is, you know, declared there's no need for an investigation or anything. And, you know, I'd defer to him and ask him if that's okay, but, they just need to find a way to follow that certificate. And he said, okay, well, if we have any questions, we'll call. And I never heard it back from it. So I guess they buried that man that night. <laughs> <laughs> man. Dude, that's Texas culture right there. I'll tell yeah. you, man. It is. But, and I, I've got some, uh, some guys I'm you know friends with that are old guys, and they've been in this area forever. And they, he used to be the grave digger back a long time ago. Man the stories he has from, you know, back then, you're just unbelievable. <laughs> Dude, I can, I, I can only imagine. Yeah. Because, uh, I, ima- I, 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 I bet 50, even 50, 60, 60 years ago in rural Texas, it was, a uh, it yeah. was old school, man. A lot has changed. Oh, a everywhere. lot has changed about everything and culture. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's interesting to me the way you talked about, the the progressive kind of view on death and and where i've seen that in in really advanced stages um is uh is in new zealand new zealand Mm -hmm. i I saw that that progressive uh treatment of death in in yeah way down along the line to to the point that you know we have a we have a friend over there that had a uh, a brain injury we might mm-hmm. have him on the podcast one day, but essentially he he was open with the fact that um, you know if he didn't recover uh, at the level he wanted to recover at within the next ten years, he was just going to kill himself. And and mm-hmm. everyone around him was was okay with that. They were yeah. like, "Yeah, well, that that makes yeah. sense to me." Um, and, and that's <laughs> that's such a you know that's hard. I've seen some of these like 
seen these people under hospice and care. And you, you, you can tell, yeah, hospice gives you comfort, but you know, those people are suffering. So you kind of, it's, it's a hard, you know, I have my faith in what it says, but it's hard not to, cause you care about people. So you, it's hard to see that and say, well, no, they have to suffer and live out their days because that's what we believe. And, you know, you shouldn't suicide, but it's, it's, it hurts so much to see people suffer. You know, yeah, and, but it's it's yeah. it's you're cheating the natural process, mm-hmm. and you know that's that's it's easy to sit and talk about that natural process when when we're here healthy and 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 young and and vibrant. Um, I'm sure it will be much. It, for me, it's like the ultimate finish line. It's like the ult the 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 ultimate challenge is mm-hmm. is maintaining. Um, you know who you want to be remembered as throughout that final process, um, mm-hmm. and you know I, I watched my grandfather do that not long ago. Uh, I remember we spent the day with my grandfather the the day before he uh, died, and he just was cutting up and smiling and being yeah. himself, and and mm-hmm. uh, he maintained his his integrity and his honor and who he was to the very yeah. end. And that is part of the process, I have to believe, uh, of experiencing the fullness of life. And I think that's what scares me so much about this: these um, suicide pods and these euthanization mm-hmm. centers and stuff. It's I don't know if I, I don't know if scared me the right word, or maybe it frustrates me well, that 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 would be an option to um, to just kind of just it's quitting. Essentially, yeah. And, yeah. And think, cheating think the process to, the, to think back to y'all's uh, podcast while back about being mentally tough. You know, th- to me, that's even in those stages of life, you're giving up. You're not being tough, and you know, seeing it through to the end. You know, God gave us our amount of time to live, and you know, I don't. I'm not a big predestination person, or anything like that. I think there's some aspects to it, but you know, if you're cutting that short, you're taking god's power over you away Mm -hmm. and putting it on your terms which that's not our you know we don't live here on our terms we're we're on god's terms wow and you even in you know you could be about to you know die naturally from your illness or old age whatever it may be you could pass away tonight but if you say no i'm going now on my terms that's that's not right because so your grandkid could come in that evening to say goodbye to you and you may change their life for the better for the rest of their lives. And, and by cutting that short, you're, <laughs> you know, you're robbing them of that. Man, that is, that's solid, man. And I, I think, I think it is to, to treat, uh, the, the whole process of, of, of death and to skip over the to be so systematic about it to skip over mm-hmm. the the mourning process and and the the um just the almost i mean it's a is there's a community aspect to it also where people yeah. that you that you you know people come together and support one another and to, just to skip over that whole process and just be systematic with it i think is extremely unhealthy and i saw that too in the seal teams man because that's mm-hmm. that's the way that's the way a lot of times guys and and platoons and teams had to operate if they lost someone uh, there just simply was not the time or the capacity to properly 
mourn and work mm-hmm. through that loss, man. And and it yeah. creates a very unhealthy um, soul, essentially, it, emotional yeah, it's, it's aspect. Anger. Yeah, exactly, man. And I think that's it's, very dangerous, man. And I think that's the culture is heading that direction very fast, oh, yeah. uh, just treating well, that as a systematic thing. And like the, okay, so the, the stages of grief, you know, set up by Kubler Ross are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And I can remember that because we were always taught DABDA, D-A-B-D-A. And everybody handles those things differently. And you can apply that to the loss of, you know, like we were on vacation a few months back in Yosemite and on the way back our, our diesel trucks engine locked up. We went through stages of grief with that. So, I mean, it doesn't apply to just death. I mean, anything, you have to go through those stages of grief when you lose them. And everybody goes through them different and not and in maybe a little bit different order, but it always falls back to those things. And if you can identify those things along with being faithful, you you can get through it. But you have to go through that process. You can't skip it. Or then you have what's called complicated grief. Now, I'm not no you know, psychiatrist or anything like that. We studied those things, but you, you fall into that complicated grief that gets buried. And, and you may wonder why, like you just can't handle things. And that may be why funerals have transitioned to less of a ceremonial thing because people over time stop doing it and processing that because someone told them, you know, to ignore it. And next thing you know, here we are. And if you like you said, apply that to society as a whole, and we're not properly processing these things. It's, it's a dangerous path. Yeah. It's, it's leading to, to nowhere. Yeah. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, Morgan, you don't, you don't have to be a psychiatrist to speak your, your mind on this show, because oh, uh, we're, we're, ta- <laughs> we're talking to a man that, that is, that has lived and seen and been with people mm-hmm. working this process day in and day out for over a freaking mm-hmm. decade and that's what's yeah. important to me, man. It's why I'm so interested you. in, in your perspective on it. And I had to ask you too, obviously, um, you are you are a servant of Christ and, and I have to I have to just hear uh why. Why why do you serve Jesus? Why when did you submit your life to Christ and and um just a little bit about your testimony, man? Uh you know, I always grew up uh you know, when I was, when I, we were little, but we'd spend the weekend at my grandparents, we lived out in the country and my grandparents lived in town and we'd spend the weekend with them. And, uh, they always took us to church and, uh, you know, church of Christ every Sunday. And, you know, growing up, you hit those in there. I mean, you, you go to Bible school and, you know, they, my grandparents had a rock salad foundation. And even though my parents, you know, they didn't go to church every weekend, you know, they still had that good solid foundation of Christian values and beliefs and uh and along with proper parenting of course you grow up and you know I, I went through those teen years where you you don't you you feel like I don't want to go to church and all that and then as I've gotten older you know you start to appreciate that and uh you know it's some kind of a journey I went on on I found on my own because I've always when I moved from East Texas, I moved four hours away to Central Texas, and you know I was—I'm always been "quote unquote" on my own, which I know, you know, like we were talking about last night, you know, share the cross and uh, bear your burdens or, or carry your cross and uh, share your burdens. Well, mm-hmm. it's just one of those things. I 
I wasn't able to do that. And so I was forced, you know, go out and meet people on my own. It, it got to be some dark times. Uh, you know, when you're, you move across a state like that and, you know, you just kind of keep doing the same thing, same thing. And had some, you know, dark times that I've, I've only really talked about this with my wife and, and our pastor that, that married us, but, it was one night that, you know, it just, I probably wasn't going to make it not that, but for some reason, something just, just snapped and said, no, that's stupid. Don't, that's selfish. Don't do that. And it'll get better. It always does. Everything always gets better. And you can't enjoy the sunny days without the rainy days, basically. As corny as all that sounds. No, <laughs> you you got to have those rainy days. And, you know, so from that point on and I, and I knew it was God talking to me, you know, I, I've never lost my faith and, um, I get, well, I mean, I guess you could say I did, but you know, I was still, I didn't think it was some other being or just me making that decision. It was God making that decision. And yeah. from then on, it kind of just put a new, it put a new light on looking at things. And then not only that, I think it helped me in my personal life, helped me in my career, of course, dealing with like what we were talking about with, you know, death and dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from then on, it's just changed. Like that's, you guys may almost just to it. It frustrates my wife. I say, she gets so upset. I'm like, it's going to be all right. She's like, don't say it's going to be all right. I'm like, no, She's like, how can you say that? It's because, you know, God wouldn't put us through things if we couldn't handle it. Yeah. And that's, that's my faith that it's going to be all right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. As long as you don't quit. As long as you don't quit, yeah. I, I, I completely subscribe to that. That's a, that undulation, that constant undulation that we experience as mm-hmm. humans as, uh, as because we're subject to time. Um, mm-hmm. you, you can't lose perspective on uh, the reality of that undulation of life that we all go through, man. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, like we're t- talking about resurrected, you know, with planning and letting and trusting God with the steps in between. I, I'm a huge proponent of that. Like, I'm not as good as the, the planning in general, <laughs> but yeah. I, I, you know, whatever happens, happens. And, you know, I have faith it's for the best, um, almost to a fault. And, but you, you can't, you can't go. Th- I don't see how people go through life without having a faith in a superior power that's going to handle us and take care of us and, and provide for us. You know, and that's not saying you don't have to do things. I mean, God blesses you, yes, but he also blesses you with two hands to get work done, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Well, so I, there, are, there are a lot of people that don't have that don't have that as part of, again, they don't have that spiritual aspect <laughs> or they choose to ignore it or try not to understand it, and they don't freaking make it through life. They, they, mm-hmm. they don't make it, and... Yeah. That that's probably that that number's in the millions, I'm sure. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, and, and I think that's a part of our faith that we probably uh, take for granted sometimes. Of like <laughs> th- this this spiritual aspect of us is what is literally sustaining our ability to make it from start to finish through this thing that we call life. That is hard. I don't freaking give a crap who you are. Well, and and that's only. That's that's our life on this planet. Our life keeps going after that, you know. And in our belief, in Christian belief, and you know, when I was kind of looking over things to, you know, getting ready for this, there was a, a verse that popped out, and that's 
First Thessalonians uh, 4.13, and it's brothers and sisters, we do not want uh, you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind. You have no hope, or who have no hope, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And it, you, that's just that's it right there. I mean, that yeah. it's going to be okay. That's it, man. And uh, God, God created us all the same to live life. And then when we passed away, you know, if you were a good Christian, and you know, you go to heaven, and life goes on, but it's even better. Yep. So if this is if this is the worst you can get compared to that. It's going to be all right. We'll keep going. It's <laughs> a great perspective, man. Yeah. That's a great perspective. And, and uh, it's just with death, you know, I've seen some, you know, elderly people who've been strong in their faith their entire life, and then they, they lose their spouse who they've been with, you know, 50 plus years. Mm. And that's one. That's the hardest in my career. The, one of the hardest things to handle is seeing a, 80 year old man who lost his wife and now he's got no one break down. That is, that's tough. Cause you always see your grandparents, the grandfathers just you know, strong, hard, hard old men that, you know, you don't dare share, shed a tear in front of cause they'll let you know it. And, uh, but to see the elderly man almost lose their faith it, or, and then it, you know, strengthens their faith. It's just, you know, there's no words for that. Wow. No, there's definitely not. And to see that as many times as you've seen it, mm -hmm. um, gosh, that puts things into perspective, man. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've made a lot of, uh, a, quite a decent network of things doing this career. Cause it, it is a, uh, a serviture servitude type career. Like I'm, I've served people all the time and, yeah. uh, everything aspect. I mean, even so in the funeral home, you, you always hear about funeral directors being, you know, part of the, uh, city council, things like that. Oh, I've, I got nominated as president of our, our local chamber when I was at the funeral home and ran that. And there's just things like that. You know, you just, you're there for other people. You can't be a funeral director and serve yourself. I've made that mistake, you know, trying to like, Oh, I'll do this. I'll get, we'll get more business and we'll, we'll grow the funeral home, but you can't do that. You just have to be there for them and, and do a good job and, and provide your services to the best of your ability. And yeah. then everything falls in place like anything. Yeah. Yeah. Anything. And, and especially, especially in, in a ministry, I think is a, is a very <laughs> similar uh, format there. Mm -hmm. well, and that, that's what I was trying to think of earlier. People would say, well, that's really a, a ministry. And I, I, I've kind of, and I still a little aggressive disagree with that because I don't, I don't consider myself and maybe that's because I, I define things too black and white when it comes to that. But I don't define myself as a preacher, you know, or I, you know, yes, we all minister to people in our daily lives, but it's service or it's service to above self. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. And so I don't, I don't see it as a ministry per se. I know you could, some people can consider it. I, I personally don't. It, I'm not just me. I think that's a key aspect of ministry. I think I've never heard it put that way, service before self, but I think that is a key <laughs> aspect of uh, at least one major component that defines um, what 
your ministry is or what you're what you're called mm-hmm. to do in your life right and if if it mm-hmm. fits that mold service before self then uh, i think i think you're bumping right there up against um what what your calling is or what your ministry is in life man so mm-hmm. yeah. i love that and it's and that, i mean it doesn't make death any easier for me um where you know we're we're expecting our first child coming up. We just found out we're having a little boy. So, so happy for that. But, uh, uh, my wife said, well, you know, if things go bad, you know, during the process of, of, of labor and everything, you may have to make a choice. Do you, who do you want to live? And I said, well, I don't know. And I still have, I don't have an answer to that because that's not a, that's not a comfortable decision I'm ready to make, you know, and now I'm be, I have to. And, I'm still, you know, we're still, I'm still praying about that and praying for an answer, but, uh, I really don't think there should be an option. I think the, the doctor should do what they best for, for both everybody involved, but she doesn't want that answer. She wants a, a, a real oh, answer dude. since she yeah. said, and I said, well, it's a, it's a tough one to come across. And even though everything I've done over my career in regards to that realm, you know, with infants and all that, it, it doesn't make that, I, I'm not any more educated than the next person to make that decision. Yeah. You might just need so. to say, Hey Kate, uh, that's situational dependent. That's situation. dependent." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a we'll, tough we'll one, see. man. <laughs> I, I okay, got to, yeah. uh, yeah, man. And I got to get into that aspect, um, of kind of, um, you know, the message you sent me, I had made a post a while back, mm-hmm. um, referencing, uh, referencing death because it is something that that i'm i'm also aware of in in my existence and uh i think about quite often not not in a negative way but uh i definitely don't lose connection with the reality of death um Mm -hmm. in my everyday life and and i think the the post was i I don't even remember what it said but it was confusing people and uh i actually took the post down and you messaged me and you were like hey man where'd that where did that post go and i explained to you i think i went uh went a little too deep for a little text on instagram Mm -hmm. we might need to do a podcast on that just so i don't confuse people and you had um along with that message you had sent me um telling me about when you were a funeral d- director, you had testified in the mm-hmm. Supreme Court as an extreme witness uh, when clinics sued the state of Texas because there was a law that said all fetal remains mm-hmm. must be buried or cremated. And yeah. I just want you to talk me through uh, the, the the deeper context of, of what what the what you testified about and and, and just um, explain that more in depth to me because I, there's something there and it's something that you also said you hold close to your heart and you're passionate about. So we, it, the funeral home I, I last worked at, uh, we had a program that one of the prior funeral directors out there, he, he had since passed away, but that he had set up for one of the local hospitals is, uh, in these, these hospitals that were, you know, religious based, they would give the families the option of do they want to in the in the case of miscarriage, just for example, they would give the families options. So do you want to contact a funeral home to have a, a burial or cremation done and you know, a service or anything like that? Or if not, the the hospital would take care of it. They would uh do a, a 
a mass burial at a local cemetery who well, are funeral home handled that. But also at the same time, these families were referred to us because we also, one of the elderly gentlemen that worked for us, helping us part-time on services, he made these small wood infant caskets. And so in combination with the cemetery, we, we had this program and it kind of grow had grown and, uh, and we were known as the, you know, if you've had a miscarriage and, or you you know, your baby passed away to go to us, we'll, we'll take good care. And we did all of it at no charge. Um, if they did buy any type of merchandise, we did it at cost. But as for our services, we didn't charge, which is, which most, if not all funeral homes do for, for the little ones. But yeah. anyway, we had done that for so long. We, I built partnerships with, uh, two of the three of the other major hospitals in the area uh, to handle all of them. And we do it, you know, once every quarter. And I mean, there was probably from one of the hospitals alone, of course it was a major hospital in the, it's the major hospital in the region, but I mean, we're talking a couple hundred every quarter. And wow. these are infants that range from, you know, weeks to maybe one month or two months, you know, um, and it was just families that weren't ready to process that. And so the, the hospitals took care of it and they, the families were aware. They told them of their program that they were buried at X cemetery on, on this date. And they were actually invited to attend this service. So it wasn't like it was just done behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, the families were aware, but we had taken on as well. If the families wanted to, we would do it. And the state, so they tried to pass a law saying that all fetal remains must be cremated or buried to provide for a proper burial. Yes, there was probably some political intent to minimize abortions because it applied to the abortion clinics and all of them. Yep. Um, and, you know, so because other than that, they were just taken out with medical waste and incinerated. So the state tried passing this law. Well, a lot of this, these clinics grouped together and sued the state to prevent this law. And in the meantime, the state had set up a registry for funeral homes who provide services like ours to register so they can have these resources for these clinics. Now, these are, well, are these abortion clinics specifically that you're talking about? Or are you talking about medical? Mostly, yes. Yeah. It's kind of hard to say. It's mostly the clinics. Uh, I don't want to say the names because I don't want it. I don't still, I mean, it's been since 2017. So I don't, I don't know if there's like, I mean, it's all public information. So yeah. it was this whole women's health group. Okay. So they represented these and they, they preferred it and during the trial. They preferred to be called facilities, which in my mind was a joke, but, um, you know, let's, let's, if a duck's a duck, let's call it a duck, yeah. but you know, you don't, you can't do that nowadays anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, let's just change the language and imagine yeah. it's something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we said, I signed up for this registry and then I didn't hear anything about it. And a couple of weeks later, I get a phone call from the attorney general's office saying, you know, asking about our program. And they said, would you mind being deposed or you're probably, they said, well, first they said, you're going to be subpoenaed for all your information. And I said, Oh, okay. They said, they explained why. And I said, all right. So they sent us over the subpoena and had all, you know, they wanted all these records and documents. And I said, we can't comply with this. Just, it's too cumbersome. And so we got them to work with us and 
uh, I gave them what little information they got them. And, uh, and then they said, well, you're, you're going to be deposed and you're going to get a subpoena for deposition, you know, as an expert witness. And I said, okay. And it was for both sides. They, not just the state wanted me as a witness, but the other side did too, which was different. So I sat through a four hour deposition, uh, and was questioned by not only the state, but these attorneys from New York that represented, uh, these clinics. And you could just tell that, you know, they, they were taking this as they, they had no respect that these were human lives. They, they were saying, you know, you know, this is basically just, you know, medical waste. Yep. And so, well, there's a little bit different there. Cause I've, I've held a, a two week old fetus in my, in my hands and, it's not medical waste. Of course, you know, you can't just say that. Yeah. But at the end of that, it was all over. And I had had an attorney kind of represent me through those. She's just in case, like they got said, sometimes they say those depositions get really ugly. And, uh, she was provided through a, uh, nonprofit group that represents like churches, things like that. And she, she warned me, she said, you need to go on your social media you don't have to, you know, cancel your accounts, but you make everything private as you can because they're going to come at you, mm-hmm. these people, because they're crazy. <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't really have that issue. But so I got a call about three or four months later from the state again, and they said, you know, you're probably, she said, would you mind testifying? And I was like, well, she goes, well, and to be honest, you really don't have a choice because they're going to subpoena you. And I was like, well, then why are you, <laughs> why are you asking? <laughs> and so, they subpoenaed me and then uh, they accept the date and I took the day off work and uh, my wife went with me down there. Of course, I couldn't go into the courtroom until they called me because they don't want you here and what the other people have to say. In the cemetery, we did all these, these burials of these infants at. They were subpoenaed as well. So I got the guy that runs that he's friends with and he was there. But uh, they called him in first and I sat there for three or four hours and then they called me and I went in and my wife had already gone in and listened to Jimmy, the guy who does the cemetery. And she said, when I walked in, she said, all them people just kind of were like, <gasps> and I said, you know why? And I figured this out later. They called, they wanted me because I'm young and they expected some old man that's probably out of touch mm-hmm. with what's going on. And, but they chose me because I was young. I know what's going on in the world. I know what this is all about. And yeah. so they kind of took them all back. And I got up there and I was on the stand for about three to four hours. And, uh, it was, it was, it was nerve wracking that they kept trying to trip me up and get my own religious and political beliefs involved. And the, the judge, he, he stood up and he yelled at those attorneys and said, you can't do that. What this guy, little guy over here from Central Texas thinks does not matter in this case. We've already been over this, and they take apart your emails, your your uh, you know your signature, and it was it was a lot. And you know, I, I feel like I did my best because I've always taken the care of these infants very personally. I mean, I did one of the things I'll never forget is taking a stillborn baby from its mother's arms and, and having to take it away from her to back go back to the funeral home. That's not a, a great memory to have. So I've, I've, I took those battles with that very personally. And it was very hard not to 
to get emotional about it and, and, and still be professional on that stand when I'm being told that, you know, I'm just putting them in an oven to incinerate them. You know, I was like, no, that's not the case. These parents are, are grieving, you know, and they tried to say, well, y'all just serve Christians. And I don't care who you are. If you walk through my door wanting a funeral, you could be Osama bin Laden himself, but it's my duty to provide you the, the services you require. Now that's probably an extreme example. I, I wouldn't give him services, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and they, you know, cause our, the name of the funeral home, uh, was that it's actually named after the rivers that ran through the city, but it, it has a, you know, it's a, it's a biblical name. So they tried to say like, Oh, well, because you're Christians and all that, you're just trying, they're trying to keep women from having abortions. So you don't agree with that. And I said, ma'am, I, when people walk to my door, I don't know how these babies have passed away. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not, we're not saying, well, I, Oh yeah, I aborted my baby or things like that. And it, and it doesn't matter to me. And it was just, it was a long ordeal. Um, it was a great learning experience and, and I'll, I'll, it's something I'll never forget. And I feel like I did my best to serve and represent, uh, not just the, the funeral directors, but I represented Christianity on the terms of serving and, and when it comes to abortion and things like that. And, it was very frustrating because they, the court ruled that in favor of the clinics that the law was unjust and it prevented it. It violated constitutional rights of a woman. And it was very frustrating because these clinics tried to say like they couldn't handle, you know, having to pay for and taking care of all these remains when none of them, and then they even made this a factual in the trial. None of them had ever reached out to any funeral home or any facility to say, Hey, can you handle this for us? You guys were doing it for free. Yeah. We were already doing it for free. Yeah. And it was, it was ridiculous because they were like, well, you know, we don't have anybody that can do it for us. And on the other hand, we're like, no one's ever called us and asked, but yet they still ruled in favor of them. And, and, I, and the judge, I kind of see where he, he was saying, uh, basically the law needed more clarification on things and like how the logistics of this whole thing would work. But then the last I knew, the states appealed it, but it would go up to the next level. But that's been, like I said, since 2017. So, um yeah, and it, it just became a real close issue to me. Anytime we had a, a baby come in, we always, I always tried to take those on myself. So, I'll tell you what, brother. Yeah. That's some, that's some heavy dang stuff right there, son. Mm-hmm. That is some heavy yeah. stuff. And, and you're, you're essentially, you're essentially in this courtroom and you are doing all that you can to advocate for these unborn children or these stillborn children and advocate for the value of, mm-hmm. of, uh, respecting their remains. Um, yeah. It's the value of life. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's, that's what this, the, 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 this whole thing in my mind, that's what it, that's really what it boils down to is 
<laughs> is the degradation of the value of human life. And mm -hmm. this is what's so astounding to me uh, at, uh, on this level. You're, we're talking about the foundational level here. A completely innocent human life and there's a whole not another conversation about when when does life human life start mm -hmm. uh, the, the most the, the most logical bio like biological answer in my mind is cut and dry it's when a sperm meets an egg and yeah. and this this then becomes a life form well, its own life form like that's biologically how can you dispute that and i went back i shouldn't have but Last night I went back on that post you had made talking about it and that I'd shared and I, I made the mistake of going and reading those dang comments and you know they, it's just so many evil people that can come out of the woodworks and like how can you even think that and I mean you, okay NASA finds traces of microorganisms and microbacteria on the moon and they call it life but yet the two cells. That have, that have formed and are splitting into four, then the eight, then the 16, and in my wife's body right now, are not, we're not considered life when that <laughs> happened. I just, you can't, you, and it's frustrating because you've, us as men have been beat down that we have no say in that conversation, but yes, we do. We, we made that with them. It, it wasn't just the woman. Yeah. My DNA is just as much of a part of it as her. And who is what, even though, yes, you're carrying the burden of carrying that, that baby and, and going through the pains and the errors, but it's just as much our responsibility as it is theirs. Yeah. And it may not be as physically, but we're going through it just as much. And the fact that they'll sit there and say, well, if you don't have a uterus, you have no say in this conversation. No, I do have the say. And I will say, and it's you just, it's a human life yeah, that we create. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what is what is your what what is your how does your your gender um, play <laughs> into your uh, uh, ability to advocate for a, a human life? That it, again, it, it's it's nonsensical. It's it's yeah. it's pure it's evil in its purest form and it is such a foundational issue because here's the thing with with um us devaluing the life of an unborn child well if if a society or a culture or a nation chooses to do that devalue the most innocent form of human life uh and and devalue it to the point that you're just treating that uh, the remains of that life, um, well, well, first of all, in some cases, you're intentionally murdering or intentionally mm -hmm. ending that life and then treating the remains as, as medical waste. Um, mm -hmm. If you decide to do that, that is the ultimate devaluation of human life. Yeah. And so what happens, mm -hmm. what stems from that is what we see in our nation right now. These just murder rates off the charts, these heinous crimes, uh, sex trafficking. Um, mm -hmm. Just uh, This is, I, I want everybody to understand that the increased rate 
of murder and violent crime and 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 all these things that it's just it's going off the freaking charts man and it's all yep. really it is all influenced by this most fundamental valuation of human life that we mm-hmm. we've cho- we've chosen as a nation to um to say ah we can just it's 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 unbelievable to me when you actually describe what it is you can rip a unborn child from a mother's body, mm-hmm. take that life and then throw it in the garbage can or use it for to, to or, or or use the the remains to I, I there's no telling what they what they yeah, whisk those they, remains off to to utilize but it's just and then it's they unbelievable to, and they try to say you know well. You know, my body, my choice. Well, what about the baby's body? Exactly. Choice it's an illegitimate choice? argument. It's, it's, yeah, yeah it's, um, and so, man, I, I cannot imagine how heavy that had to be of you being up on the stand and having to defend that topic against, and these people, man, the, these clinics and these women, women's mm-hmm. groups, these people are some of the most vicious people mm-hmm. on oh, earth. Yeah. I mean, they are, absolutely ruthless yeah they're even above mm-hmm. the, the whole political scene oh they are oh, yeah. ruthless man and you know thankfully a lot of that trial like what i said there were some reporters there you know writing stuff down and tweeting things as they went along and you know thankfully they didn't pick up on a like some because they got me to trip up once and when they wanted me to explain the cremation process and they kept pushing me to describe what the crematory the machine actually is. And I ran out of words and got kind of frustrated. And I got weak and I said, it's based essentially a large oven incinerator, you know, and then a, it goes their process in a, it wasn't the machine. It was the processing machine they wanted described, which is essentially a machine that has two blades in it that spins and it processes down the cremains into a, uh, what you see is ashes mm-hmm. because the cremains aren't ashes. They're bone fragments. Mm-hmm. And if there is ash, it's what the body, the container of the body was in at the time. But they kept wanting to explain that, explain that. And I finally said the only way I could explain it in layman's term, because they kept pushing for it was essentially a large blender. Mm-hmm. And they took that and they ran with it trying to say that, you know, well, that's no better than, than, uh, going to a medical waste facility. You know, we're just throwing them in a oven in a blender and grinding them down. And it was like, no, it's it's way different than that. But it was that was that was one of my weak moments in on that day. But yeah, it was they were vicious when they when they decided to latch on to that. And thankfully, no reporters did. Or you know, you'd probably send me on the front of CNN that I was the devil or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I mean, the process describing the process of it. Is 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 sounds brutal either either yeah. way it goes, but the I think the key the key part is the respect mm-hmm. is the is mm-hmm. is the is the respect aspect of it right and yeah. and actually oh, yeah. showing through that the respect for those remains showing that okay this is a valuable this was a valuable human life and we're going to respect that and maintain that respect throughout this entire yeah. process uh, just just like hunting 
you know, you want to take a, a shot that's not going to allow that animal to suffer because you respect that life. Yep. You know, and if you don't even respect wildlife, how can you expect ex- respect human life? You know? Well, it's crazy. People, people I, think it's crazy that yeah. the, 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 a lot of these organizations have actually elevated animal life above human life in, in a lot of ways. Oh, and yeah. Even a lot of our good gosh, man, a lot of our laws that we have in the mm-hmm. United States of America would put an animal's life above a human's life. You go out here and shoot a freaking bald eagle, you're gonna they're gonna put you under the jail, mm-hmm. son, and you ain't ever uh-huh. getting out. All right. Yeah. And that the, you know meanwhile you can you can go and you know, you had a one night stand or something like that and all of a sudden it's inconvenient. You can go take a human life and you know, that's you know, that's okay, pat you on the back. Exactly. You know, there's, they don't even make you feel shameful of it anymore. Uh, just with culture, the way it's like, I saw someone shared something today. It, it said, you know, things you shouldn't be shameful for, and abortion was listed on there, along with other things that should, you should, yes, you should be ashamed mm-hmm. of that. Now, should I shame you for that? No, but because I, I love you as a Christian, but you should internally feel bad and regret that decision. Yeah. Because that's how you can't you can't call yourself a Christian and keep doing the same sin. You should be trying to not do that sin. Yeah, yeah, you it's know. conviction. Yeah, it's conviction. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's part of conviction is actually evidence that your 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 spirit, the spiritual part of you, is still intact. Yeah. Conviction, mm-hmm. conviction as a human, if you feel convicted because of something that you did, is actually a wonderful thing. Yeah. Right? Because as long yeah. as you're feeling conviction about something, that means that you have not been turned over to what the Bible calls as a reprobate mind. And I think that is why these people are some of the most vicious people on earth is because they have completely been turned over by God, been turned over Mm -hmm. to a reprobate mind. They have asked for it. They have pursued it. They have taken it to that point that in terms of Scripture, it literally, the the Scripture tells us, you want to take it to that point? You take it to that point. You take it that far, and God will turn you over to this, and there is no coming back from it. Because once you're turned over to a reprobate mind, you can't, you cannot come back to Christ without feeling some conviction about sin in your life, whatever it is. It's impossible to get back to Mm -hmm. him. It's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. And man, I'll tell you, gosh, this is, um, this is deep stuff, man. When last night I was, when I was looking over things, get ready for this call, I went on my, my Bible app, you know, they have the verse of the day. And it, it's so crazy how sometimes it's just God works through that and, you know, the right verse for whatever is going on. The verse was Job 31 15. Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both than our mothers? You know, like hmm. you're taking away the same thing that you were. You know, that made you, you, and you're choosing to end that. I mean, that's essentially, I mean, that can equate back to the suicide conversation. Yep. Yep. But, yeah, it's, 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 it's one of those battles and it's, it's going to be one of these long, hard battles that's going to 
take us as a society a long time to battle because it's gotten so ingrained in our culture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that was going to be my last question for you, Morgan is, um, because you, because you have, this has been such an intimate part of your life and, and, I would almost say it is it is the purpose you have been called uh, to serve in your life, uh, the the body of Christ, and and I mean what what is the I, I don't know if you could say the best or like how do we what can we as people do to support you or to um to to I guess combat this atrocity uh in our day-to-day yeah. life i mean what have you seen works or how, how i mean how do we reach people that will that are still opening to to listening i mean you got any advice well, for us man i i it's hard i mean I've, i haven't worked in the funeral home in about two or three years two years and one of the things I've seen, and it's an unfortunate way to go about things, but people I've known that have lost their children who had, you know, more of a belief that, you know, it's okay, but then they lose their own children, unfortunately, you know, unexpectedly, and it changes their opinion on all that. It changes their spirituality. It has to. Yeah. But, and that's been one of the key things I see really change people's perspective. And it, you know, unfortunately it doesn't involve a loss of life, but like anything without great loss, there's no great improvement. And it's not, I'm not saying we should lose our babies to make us realize this, but it's, you know, you show these people the best way you can being a Christian. And, you know, you don't, I don't condemn people who have an abortion. I wasn't there when they made that decision, but, and I know it probably wasn't an easy one. And if it was, that's even worse, but they should be, you know, just be a, a good Christian to them. Don't judge them, love them. Yeah. And the best way I can think back is, um, when you reference the, the shoe company, you know, Jesus ate with the, the tax collectors and the sinners. Yeah. He broke bread with them, you know, break bread with them and show them that, you know, it's going to be okay. You can get through this mm. very, you know, wow, man. you can get, you keep this, this life is a new beginning and you can do it and you'll be great. Not life won't be easy. We have to live with the consequences of our decisions, but you know, be there for them, love them. The best thing we can do. Right. Yes. Yes. And, and yes, man, that, that, that and that's so, that is the best advice, the best advice ever. And it's so, I think, difficult or it feels so unnatural when we're dealing with such an, a, a deep, heavy, emotionally charged topic. And mm-hmm. you see people that are on our side, um, you see them uh, getting really fiery and and really attacking uh, mm-hmm. these individuals who have made this decision, uh, yeah. And 
and that literally leads to nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the best you, you put it down the best the 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 best possible thing we can do if if we encounter individuals in our lives who have made this decision. You still there, brother? Yeah, my my mic or my no words. Things are there. I, you are. Okay. I, yeah, I got Sorry. you. Um, the best thing that we can do. Uh, and what not only the best thing that we can do, but what we are called to do is to spend time and love those people and eventually pointing them to the, the fact that no matter what the decision is that they made, an atonement has been made for their mistakes. Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. like you said, we have to live with the consequences of our decision and, and the the feelings that, that, that we have afterwards. And, man, I have to do that on a day-to-day basis myself. Oh, yeah. All of us have to do that. But mm-hmm. the fact that we, no matter what mistakes we make, no matter what poor decisions that we make, even a decision as significant as ending a human life, um, we can still be reconciled through Christ to our Creator and yeah. and spend eternity serving Him. Uh, yeah, what yeah, a and, beautiful answer, man. I can't. I can't sit there and believe that you can that people can say like they believe in God and then will willingly make that decision. Yes, there are the the strange circumstances when there is health issues involved, but that's a very small percentage. But you can't tell me that these people who go out and willingly do this and think it's okay truly believe in God. Because it'd be like saying, like, yeah, I'm a I'm a you know I'm, I'm addicted to drugs, but you know, I have forgiveness, but I'm going to still go do them tonight. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. You know, you, you have to really know that if, cause what <laughs> it's frustrating. Cause I, I, I get fired up and I can't get my words out, <laughs> but it's, you just know God. And, and that's the answer. It's, it's simple. And it's so simple. You can't explain it. You know, it, because once you know God, you have that appreciation for life. You you know that everything's going to be okay. You're going to love the people next to you and care for them no matter their decisions. And hopefully that leads them to being the same way. And then that, therefore, you know, it, that small change, is you're changing the world. And I think that's, you know, our mission from God for everybody. It comes down to that basic thing. You know, it's spreading the word so that, you know, this world would be a better place. A hundred percent, brother. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say that you said it well, Morgan, and that the way that we treat this is no different than the way we treat anything else because this boils down to being a heart issue, just like every other mm-hmm. yeah, sin yeah. or wrongdoing out there. It's because it, it's a heart issue. So th- the question becomes, what can you do to change these people's hearts? Not their minds. It's obvious mm-hmm. that it's illogical, and logic doesn't work when – supernatural things are going on when things you say yeah, yeah that makes sense but it still i'm still feel like doing this then that tells you well okay logic is not going to work what can i do to change their heart and it all you can do is love them like you said and pray that that they see that through you and are able to recognize their own wrongdoings in their own mind because you're not going to explain it to them why it's wrong or win the battle and almost attacking that person that did it 
I mean, you might could argue it, but I would almost yeah. argue that by doing that, it's worse than really doing nothing because all you're doing yeah. is, is like throwing another stick on the fire um, in a way. But, yeah, you're pushing them further away. Yeah. A solid brother. Yeah. Well, Morgan, man. I uh, I can't thank you enough, man, for coming on here and, and discussing um, not only this topic, but the conversation that we had beforehand, just in terms of mm-hmm. uh, of of death, because I think it's a it's a it's a great reminder, um, and, and it's a great thing for our perspective in life. It's a great thing to consider, uh, and oh, yeah. and man, it's just uh, was was powerful to have you on here, man. I can't thank you enough. Brother. Oh, oh, I'm, I was so happy to to, to join in, and whatever you've ever talked about it, I just. I had that urge, you know, from God telling me like, you can contribute to this conversation so much and, and, you know, further it because I have the experience in it and yeah. you know, I'm not, I don't like to my own horn, but I've been doing, that's all I've known my whole life. Yeah. And like, <laughs> and it was funny because y'all had the podcast where you said, stand up and if you have something to say, stand up, which right now I'm pacing around the house because I can't sit still while I'm on the phone. But yeah, I told, I told Kate, I was like, what if we just went down to Georgia? I know they'd be welcome to have and did it in person. And unfortunately some things came up and then we weren't able to make that happen. But, uh, and then I, I got COVID or I mean a cold, whatever you want to call it a couple weeks ago or last week. And I'm better from that now, but yeah, we, I'm, I was all, I was completely honored to, to be here and have this conversation with you. Well, I have faith we'll get to meet you in person sometime soon, yeah. brother. You're a big part of yeah. 307 Project, and um, oh, we're you. following you guys. And will you tell the listeners where they can uh, find you and follow you and also Kate because you guys post really great, yeah. positive, good pictures, good content. <laughs> I mean, you're you're well, you're well, a good follow on IG. So, Oh, thanks. <laughs> we, well, I mean, I, you see some of the stuff out there. You're like, oh, this is the same old fake not real stuff so we you know we just it's just our lives and that's the way we live and yeah but you can find kate over at uh, she's a, she's an artist and so you can find her on her business page uh asphalt canvas art her account got deleted mysteriously right at ten thousand followers so we've had been battling that um mine you can find over at texas original culture on instagram and that's culture with a k uh kind of converted my personal page to a my uh, side business page, but uh, that's all new. But uh, yeah, you'll find us there. Uh, so, all right, guys. Yeah. Well, Morgan, <laughs> thank you, brother. We'll talk soon. And, yeah, and uh, I was actually going to do put in an application for a basic course, and then we found out we were pregnant, and I was like, I'm not going to have time for that right now. So, in the future, <laughs> it is on my list. That's <laughs> why I was going to ask you later on. Yeah, we need. We're, we're yeah. waiting to see that come across, man. Yeah. So, so uh, we'll, but no, it, it's on my radar. We'll be here, Lord willing, when you're ready, brother. Yep. Oh yes, sir. Thanks a lot, Morgan. Thank you. God bless y'all. You too, brother. Thanks.